Uh, Liel has promised no F-bombs, but uh, we have some pretty racy Jew and Gentiles of, of the week. But so not racist. They might they might drop an F-bomb or an S-bomb or this bomb or that bomb. So here's your obscenity warning. If you if that frightens you... Get the Fabringen kids out of the house. Kids out of Tell the them to go the Fabringen to sleep. So I think that I'm a little bit like Donald Trump in that I listen to the advice of the person. Like you told me, you're saying person. I should get a cat now. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to text Ben being like... Sit says I'm like that. Get a cat. I'm, the last person I'm, I to. Get a cat. <laughs> And so the, the day the cat therapist came, I also went to my acupuncturist and I will just believe anything he tells me. And that's why I have like bruises all up and down my back. It's important to believe, I think. Hello, J. Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, in the waning days of summer. Are we in an Indian summer yet? What that's point? racist. That's that w- very offensive. God. I'm joined... <laughs> I'm joined as ever by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello, back in my regular seat and ready to make trouble. And Tablet Senior Writer Liel Leibowitz. I will not be replaced. Our Jew of the Week is sociolinguist Sarah Boonin Binor. I hope I'm, I'm going to find out in a few minutes if I pronounce that right. She's author of a great book called Becoming From, which is a totally fascinating book about how new converts to orthodoxy pick up the lingo of the orthodox community. And our Gentile of the Week is a, uh, a second timer. He's Gentile architect George. This is the second coming. The second yes. coming of Gentile architect or Jarchitect George. I think it's Garchitect. Duo Dickinson. And uh, he's sitting in with us, but he's staying appropriately silent and reticent for now. Um, I have a lot to say about what's up with me. I haven't seen you guys for a couple weeks. Yeah, where have you been? Um, I've been in the wilderness with Rebecca. We were not glamping, but nor were we camping. We were just, we were, we were on a. a uh, it wasn't on quite a journey. A, it, we were on a journey. Spiritual journey. It was. Uh, it was. It was wonderful. I'll just say it was wonderful. And uh, no, we were. On, I was on vacation. Rebecca and I have a tradition of going away for a few days in August. And uh, oh, I did the click that we read about. Oh, and I can't Sarah wait to Boonin. talk to her about I, that. Not every click is the orthodox click that Sarah Boonin Binor writes Why about. Why is this click different from, from all other clicks? <laughs> Some of them are just I have residual mocha in my mouth. Um, nice mouth so noise. I have. I have something to discuss. And I want to put this to the Sanhedrin, to the to the community here. Um, and Duo can join, when he joins us as Gentile of the Week, maybe he'll have, as a long married man, maybe he'll have thoughts. Okay, so we all grow and change in our marriages. And some people, so I have a good friend who just- What? Bu- what? <laughs> so, and people, you know, and sometimes the change comes, you have a midlife crisis. Sometimes it's after 10 years, you want this, or after 10 years, you want out, or after 30 years, you want to move to Florida <laughs> or whatever. So 12 years in, I'm 43 years old, 12 years into the marriage, I'm getting really, really interested in home repair. I re- not that I want to do it. I want to pay someone. <laughs> I don't. T- I was hold about on. to say. Hold on one second. Who's, I don't want who's to, the Gentile of the week? I now? do not want to pay. I, think it's I don't. You. I don't want to do a damn thing. But I. We need to have our floors redone, and we need to have some painting done. And I see this as an opportunity to put up some, you know, some some crowns on the doors, and some molding, and maybe some wainscoting, and maybe I want. Is that I, how you say that word? I've never heard it said. It. All right, seen. Duo, you're sitting here. He's nodding. It's, it's Wayne Scotting. Wayne Scotting. Sorry. Scotting. I'll just, long story short, you know, we could do everything I want to do that, that needs to be done for $10,000. But I'm seeing this as an opportunity to go big, to go 50000 75000 Is this part of our fundraising drive? You know, <laughs> I'm just seeing this as like, let's really do things that are purely yes, aesthetic. Yes. And Sid, we're having this conversation and she's getting really, really upset. Sid is frugal. I mean, she's she was raised by people who, you know, save and in a small apartment where there wasn't a lot to do. And, um, meaning decor wise. And the, the idea that we would spend in the four figures or five on aesthetic matters drives her insane. And we really are like having a very tense, like it's after dinner, the kids are asleep. We're trying, we're working hard to keep our voices down so they don't think mom and dad are fighting because what she's basically saying is like, 
anything above bare minimum, and this gets to the crux of the question, right? Bare minimum, of course, we have to do. We need to refinish the floors because we don't want splinters in our floors. Fine. You know, at some point you put a new roof on the house because you don't want rain. Fine. But anything beyond that is money that could be, that could go into their college funds. And basically it's irresponsible to do anything beyond that. And I was like, and I said, but if that's the way we look at it, we'll never do anything because that's, we have four kids right. who need $200,000 each for which we'll never have. So that's essentially right. you're saying we can never do anything aesthetic. And we were at this, and that is kind of what she was saying. And, and then she said, well, I, I, I wouldn't be able to spend it because I'd be thinking, what about my, she basically was saying, if you loved your family, if you cared about our security, you would never spend $1,000 putting up crowns over the doors. Could I have some thoughts on this? It kills me to say it. You're absolutely right. I am. Yes. Thank you. 1,000%. One, 1, Thank you. I mean, look, if you had a pot of cash and you said, okay, look, I'm, I'm now going to take this money, which is designated for my trip. But as you said, like in America today to send four kids to college. Yeah, it's like, hopeless. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. And, and the, the, I really believe the house that you live in, your environment, that's kind of the most important thing in the world. Like it needs to be a, a, an environment that you come home to and feel just like. Especially if you have four children, like there needs to be some 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 truth and beauty. Yeah, in, and they need to live somewhere like where they feel happy and nice and right. a nice place before they don't go to college. Well, to be fair, but what is the to point be fair, of life kids, if there's no beauty? No, I think and, to be fair, and, kid, the kids yeah. not about the kids. They're ha- kids. Childhood's magical, even in even in lesser right. circumstances. But hold on, it's if not I was just making a joke about them not going to college. Oh, right. I missed so at least they'll stay home forever and <laughs> right stay in, my a, in a Wayne Scotted house. But I, I think the point is like if if you teach your kids that you know life is this utilitarian practical kind of like you know matter of fact thing what, what the fabrengan is the point of that but it's all, let me also i agree well thank you for telling me i'm right um you're right i'll also add just to be completely fair to her like you know as a freelance writer my income is so variable right so sometimes there's not a lot above what we need to live on and sometimes we'll have a year where a few checks will come in for ten thousand here or 12 i'll do a magazine article and get 10 grand right just to be perfectly blunt what do you do with that 10 grand and so she sees it as not like whoa that's when we can actually pad out the college funds i see it's like Okay, maybe we'll do that with half of it, but maybe half of it goes to a home improvement thing. But there's no, there's no perfect rubric to to decide that, right? Like, what's the percentage that goes here versus? How do you measure these things against each other? This just makes me happy that Ben and I, as as both journalists, will never have any money to do any of these things. We'll probably <laughs> always continue matter. to live in our studio no apartment kids and no Wayne Scotty, where there are no problems like this. All right. Um, uh, let's let's see. White supremacist banned from OK Cupid. Read about uh, we all read about that. That uh, one of the uh, guys who appears in Vice's documentary on Charlottesville, uh, outing himself as as neo Nazi that he is, um, has been banned from OK Cupid. According to a tweet they sent out, we were alerted that white supremacist Chris Cantwell was on OK Cupid. Within ten minutes, we banned him for life, which is a little ominous. They might have just said <laughs> we kicked him off OK Cupid. Yeah, like, what look how re- fast we acted. This guy's been on our site for years, probably. What if he reforms? I mean, I'd like to. Th- think that if he makes teshuva well then you can go on j-swipe <laughs> well no the standard for j-swipe's a little higher isn't it um i see it both ways i see on the one hand we don't want him to reproduce so get him off all the dig sites on the other hand maybe what he needs is a little love and like maybe maybe he needs to get laid i also wonder how much of his profile revealed his his sort of background i mean he wears a shirt that says like racial 
I forget what what it says. Like he he, I would imagine it's visible to anyone who's my interested hobbies in him. include horseback riding, <laughs> Italian food, and eugenics. <laughs> I love the OK Cupid tweets. That the next one is: there's no room for hate in a place where you're looking for love. They see this. They're like, it's like we're a great g- branding opportunity. We're going to make news. Um, then, if but, any OK Cupid members come across people involved in hate groups, please report it immediately. This is a little worrisome, right? So, like, like the Southern Poverty Law Center is going to start sending lists of people to be banned from. It's a great idea to ban people based on their beliefs. I yeah, mean, this I is mean, exactly what this country was founded on, isn't it? The funny thing is, though, they're they're like, we're the dating site that doesn't accept Nazis. Like, the bar is so low today. That's amazing. But, Mark, I think you're onto something. Uh, uh, parents really get the kids, get the kids out, of the out of the room. room. Get, get them the for bringing out, out, out of the room. I, I think the solution might be to just, uh, like, a core of volunteers to go blow neo-nazis is this like the comfort women of our <laughs> generation not blow them up but just be like it's not just a comfort woman it could be men too stephanie don't be sexist yeah i, I don't know, that think was a phrase that's, that's that was disgusting. used that was, that's a historical comfort, phrase comfort men and women comfort folk who would just be like okay look we're coming to charlottesville we're just going to give you all hand jobs right and all of y'all is just going to be much calmer you now. could go to the march that's or right. you could divert to the marriott or, to or the... you in the parking lot <laughs> ari nagel is there you could just have like a really Awesome. That is like truly God's encounter. work. I do not know how many people you want to be Christ-like. Here's how you do Christ-like: just like lend lend a hand for for love. <laughs> I, I duo. You're not in the room yet. Stop. Yeah. You're, Stop this laughing, is you're not doing man. silent well. So I do want to say there was a great article in the Times this morning about uh, the great op-ed a social movement here about laughing at Nazis. And I've been saying this from the beginning. Like it's true that if you've got thousands and thousands of them and they're passing eugenics, it's like it wouldn't have worked in Nazi Germany to laugh at Hitler. In fact, they killed you for that. <laughs> they actually did. If you told jokes about Hitler, you yeah, could we, tri- be, we tried that. You could be disappointed. <laughs> but in America right now, like the move is to show up with a thousand people and just have a big carnival all around them. And they were talking about how some of the pranks that people have played in this town in Germany, in, in Hitler's birthplace, like where he go, where there's a they come every year and do their the Nazis do their pilgrimages and they always do this two mile march and so people draw like a starting line and a finish line and they turn it into like an AIDS walk where they're yeah. like we've sponsored this portion of the race yeah, yeah. and they don't for every foot. <laughs> Tra- of travel that a Nazi does, they donate money to people to an organization that helps people leave far right groups. And there's I mean, like signs that say like, "Thank you for supporting like the fight to end you know racial bigotry." This smile <laughs> brought to you by hand jobs for Hitler, exactly. the organization that masturbates Nazis I mean, until they're calm. I really, I think there's, I think we could play a part of that. I think we should broadcast live from from the next. Oh, that would be amazing! W- wouldn't that be amazing for the next white no, power I, the march? Is like I'm. I think that that f- is funny in like these German towns where like these Nazis were from, but because I don't think those guys are like bringing guns in. It's true they don't have guns, but I mean the trauma, the the the, the, the yes. P- but I'm just saying like, I don't know that I would want to like sponsor a mile on these like fully armed militia marches because that scares yeah, me. Well, as a snowflake. All right. The March for Racial Justice, which is scheduled uh, to take place late September in Washington, D.C., was initially scheduled for Yom Kippur. In fact, it's still on for Yom Kippur, but they were alerted to the fact that some Jews who care about racial justice might not come on that day. So to their credit, they issued a big time and very worthy apology. Mm-hmm. And um, now they're going to try to include Jews was- that night after Na'ila. That's right. And the next uh, day. So um, kudos to them for— their apology was very lovely. At a time when not all left-wing— Marches are welcoming That's right. to Jews. I also think these Jewish holidays, I know things are getting scheduled. They move around all the time. I like know. Sometimes they're in early September. Sometimes right. they're in late it's October. Not, I will, we will say it's not a microaggression if you forget our I holidays. Agree. No. We don't remember when our holidays right. are. So finally, do we have anything more we want to say about the Charlottesville March? About the AC- I mean, the ACLU helped get the permits for the march. And 
Um, a lot of people, as ever, when the ACLU defends right wingers, some people who claim to be ACLU supporters say, wait, 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 we didn't know they defended free speech for everybody. We resign. Just free speech for the people I want to have free speech. I mean, look, they did then turn around and say, we will not fight for the rights of people who are planning, planning armed marches. <laughs> well, thank you for that. So, like, they're trying to, I mean... And the problem is some people are basically blaming the ACLU. They're saying right. if you hadn't fought for this to we be like, moved to this other park, the chaos that was right. ensued would not have happened. We like the First Amendment. The second one we're not crazy about. We're just basically going to pick the one we like and we're going to go with that. If only there was like an organization devoted to protection of the Second Amendment. If only it had any political right. power. One, one with political power and, <laughs> and you know, a budget, right? Um, I just want to say I gave $18 to the ACLU yesterday just just because. Just because I really think they stand up for free speech of everyone. You know, and I'm really I um I've given the ACLU a lot a lot of um uh, a lot of fabrengen uh <laughs> these last couple of weeks over over totally unrelated things that have to do with Israel, but I am 100% with you. God bless them and may they continue to protect all constitutional rights of every American, even even dumbasses. I have to say though, I like gave I gave to the ACLU uh, for a friend's birthday. I said, "What are a few organizations you want me to to donate to?" I get a lot of mail from all these, all oh, these organizations right. now, and I'm just like, they don't let up. Just accept that it's a one time thing. <laughs> Maybe send me an email. Yeah, um, they're like stalker boyfriends, right? They're yeah. like, dude, I was just nice to you in the cafeteria. I don't, yeah. I don't want to date I was you. Like, like you know, it was a one night thing. You know, it's not that kind of relationship take that the we hint. have. Yeah, yeah. Dude. I mean, what what kind of organization would just get keep after you to give money and more fundraising pitches and more fundraising pitches? What kind of horrible person would you have to say hi? Could we please have some cash? So look, I'm taking I'm taking my watch off, and we're gonna keep this to uh, 70 seconds, okay? Mm, 80 seconds. All right, listen, uh, you guys know that we are in the middle of a fundraising drive. It's lasting five weeks. We're 30% of the way to our $50,000 goal. Um, we really just want to keep the show going. We're not drawing, I'm not drawing any salary from this. I get up at 5 a.m. to come do this. And we just want to pay for our studio time and to pay Noah and Shira and, you know, be good employers. Uh, listen, please go to tabletmag.com slash donate. Some of you have been so generous. Uh, that's everyone from the $5 gift to the $1,000 gift. Um, I can't thank everyone, but I thought I would actually thank so some people. So let's thank the people who gave $1,000. So, no, so I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm actually going to thank the last uh, 50 people or so who gave. So listen, I'm gonna, you want to hear me fast talk? I just thought this would be fun. Random Gentile, Ido, Baxalal, Michelle, Anonymous, Samuel Black, Jonathan Sklar, Peg Ryan, Andrews Usman, Hannah Hessel, Ratner, Anna Partizanka, Anonymous, Anonymous, David Mann, and Lutheran Julia. I love Lutheran Julia. Max Moselson, Anonymous, Anonymous, Bryce Lobel, Noah Stoffman. God bless you, Noah. Anonymous, Michael Keller. Thank you, Michael. Anonymous, P. Jacobson, Point O'Pines alum. Anonymous, Woo! Lauren Shoulder, Karen Bleeg, Jeffrey and Hedy Rashba. When Mashiach comes, it will be Hedy Rashba. The Duffler family, Mindy, Judith Clow, Alan Fremmer, my father-in-law, Zippy, Healy Sutton, Ellen Orr. Kashuk, Jason, Chris, Elisa, Avent, David Eisenstein, David Morrison, and Anonymous. And up, oh, oh my God, Duo Dickinson in this and room. Duo Dickinson. $100. You, you get really cash. Proving his worth as the Gentile of the week. <laughs> Chris Mahundo. So listen, please go. We need everything from the $5 to the $18 to the $120. We just need, we need 35 grand more. This in the Jewish community, we're so, as the Nazis will tell you, we control everything. We have the banks. We should be able to do 35 grand more. But really. We will not be replaced. But really, we want to give you tote bags and laptop stickers. And you know what? I want somebody. How much is it to have dinner with the three of us? 1500 $1, I feel like that's the unsung gift. It's free dinner, we it's should say. free dinner. At Russ and Daughters. You get us $1,500, and then there's free dinner. All the locks you can eat. At the world-famous smoked fish place whose heir, who's Sion, went to high school with my wife at Stuyvesant. Of course. Boom. Cash rules everything around me. Green, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. I grew 
up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job at second hands. Moms bounced on old men. So then we moved to Shallon Land. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J.Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. This week, we have a return visit from our WASP in residence, Duo Dickinson. He's an architect in New Haven. Um, he's the architecture critic for the New Haven Register. He has a new book coming out, which he'll um, tell you all about. It's, it's called A Home Called New England. And he's last time he was here, he brought us liquor. The promised land. Yes. For, for yes. He, he loves New England. New England. He's everything. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Duo, for being here. It is an unalloyed pleasure to be here. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds gentilic. <laughs> it well, means it's time for gifts. It's it, a wainscoted pleasure. I could not pay you all a visitation in good conscience as a Shegetz unless I brought some token of my... Of, 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 your, of to- my, <laughs> your tokenism. Of Apology, my, if you will, for, you know... Of ru- ruining lives all through Europe and other places for hundreds of years. The Crusades were kind of a bad thing. And we, right. we just had to kind of... But having said that... I understand that those were Catholics. I understand that one of the and four, there were pe- there were nice people on both sides. But, so. <laughs> but I do know that one of the four of us is affianced and perhaps getting married. Omg, at me. And I, congratulations, and, Stephanie. Oh, thank you. And, and I assume that in your faith tradition, you're allowed to accept gifts from from heretics like me. Yes, oh. I accept gifts from anyone, everybody. Well, this comes from a place called 
Heaven Lights. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, is a shop in actually New, New Haven, Lights. Vermont. Oh, wow. I love New Haven, Vermont. New Haven, Vermont. Beautiful. It's beautiful. One little strip of, of stuff. And in there is a wonderful woman whose name I forget who does nothing but makes things like this. Let's just oh call God, it. I think this, her name it's is. It's a small box. Is Grace. And I'm, excited. I'm opening it. Yeah, I'm, unboxing live. Unboxing. unboxing on the air. Unboxing on the air. Listen to the, the paper. <gasps> oh, my God. There's paper. <gasps> It's a little frog that's oh a candle. Made out of beeswax. Perfect. What? It's a beeswax frog candle. It smells candle. delicious. Smell this. Smell I mean, it's a green and frog. In fact, it's, it's so beautiful. In certain dietary regimens, you could eat that. Uh, that's true. And I, I have is, to tell our listeners. Is it cloven hoofed? It is like a perfectly shaped. This is not like a misshapen frog. It has like contours and there's texture. Thank you so much for bringing this to me. the frog skin and there's a beautiful long. And, and I, th- I think in your with, faith tradition uh, involves something with lighting candles or something. It's true. Should I have given you like <laughs> eight, or, eight or ten more of them so you could light different <laughs> frogs is, at different ways. Well, no, on Tom Gedalia, traditionally, you light the frog. The frog. The yeah, frog? Yeah. The frog, oh, yeah. Not the tadpole, but the frog. That's, That's right. right. So, Liel. Hello. I spoke, oh, I spoke look at that. single cask nation before. And because I am actually truly a wasp, you'll see there's a sixteenth, there's barely any left. <laughs> sixteenth of an inch left. It's a left. whiskey bottle with a splash left it in is it. It is aged 13 years from the Cooley Distillery of essentially an Irish whiskey from a single cask. And the watermark, which I believe to be the star of a person you call David, um, (laughs) makes it especially appropriate for you. On the back, it says the Jewish Whiskey Company. That's correct. The Jewish Whiskey Company. The Jewish Whiskey Company is faithfully dedicated to independently bottling the world's finest and rarest single cask whiskeys for the diverse membership of Single Cask Nation. There you go. And it is aged to bar mitzvah age. And I will now do something it becomes I, a man. I, I haven't done uh, since I was probably Are you a moil? Are you a moil? I mean, you are actually circumcising the bottle. Not, not, not on the air. Uh, I'm going to drink from the bottle. Wow. At 10.22 in the morning. Well uh, done. I will say to all of you, l'chaim. L'chaim. Mazel tov. How is it? It is exquisite. exquisite. Isn't it beautiful? Oh, wow. It is exquisite. It we is have to share a bottle sometime. Peaty and, and mm. delicious and smoky. And and tastes like a like, oh, I smell, like a, I can a smell good it from kind here. of conflict. I wish there were a second, like that a Jewish, good Jewish whiskey. Mm. Um, oh, but I but Mark, <laughs> but Mark. Literally, we're never going to talk about anything. No, gonna, but Mark, it's fine. Mark, I'm giving you the galleys to your book. A used copy <laughs> of the galleys of my book, all 360 pages of it. And it's not my book; it's our a home book. called New England. A home called New England by Duo Dickinson and Steve Culpepper. Yes, not out of a, New Haven, not a Jew. No. <laughs> Steve Culpepper. We are, we are not part of the original tribe. Um, a celebration of hearth and history. I can't wait to read this. But well, I, can, will you be offended if I wait till it comes out in book form and pay retail? I would have you never pay retail. No, no, no. I always pay retail for my but, friends' but, books. But I will tell you that we are having multiple events in the greater New Haven area. So. I will be there. And we'll cover, I'll, I'll do a missive I for tablets. I if, if Sid found that book on the map, he should be like, so you're already planning the wainscoting, you monster? <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was really... Um, serendipitous that you're here this week because you know so we have nazis marching in charlottesville and we have a president who's like well there's bad people everywhere and you know um do you ever feel as a really white man i mean we are all arguably white i'm almost transparent but i can't actually see i'm seeing through you right now that's true do you ever feel how does i mean how does it feel to have so, for example, there are a lot of things that if we say them, we get pushed back from people who say, well, you're, you're just Jews. You don't understand what it's like. <laughs> but we're at least Jews. 
if there's all sorts of things now in our culture where if you complain about this or that right. or express an opinion on this, they say, what do you know? All you have is privilege. Well, you said the word. You said the word privilege. My son, who happens to be an ex-football player and, and quite handsome and irredeemably heterosexual, was at in the belly of the beast at Columbia going to social work school and basically was told almost every day, check your privilege. Because he was in the extreme minority in a very diverse, very loving community that presumes against football players, says that they are Luddite, thug, uh, really horrible, tribal... Perpetrators of a rape culture. Uh, perpetrators of a male-dominant rape culture. Toxic masculinity. And also that, that he was uh, white and he was heterosexual. He found himself to be, just without any other options, being on the wrong side of many, many, many presumptive arguments. You know, there, there's a comfort level that everybody has, and it used to be... My grand, my great grandfather was born into a comfort level of being, you know, he could white. say whatever he wanted all the time. That's right, and 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 now that ship has sailed. We are the people that hurt a lot of people. But is that stress? I mean, do you ever feel like, well, wait a second, I didn't hurt that many people. Like I should have a little. I mean, do you ever feel like it's a a, a little bit unfair? That, no, that your that the world of things you can say has no. contracted so no. much. Because I really believe that the only reason anybody should respect anybody is for what they do and believe, not for who they are. So, do it's it's funny thinking about your son and and how it, it like it it does suck that he sort of lost the benefit of the doubt. Right, people right. are now sort of questioning him immediately. That being said, that is a small price to pay for. Like, think about all the other people. I'm not. I know you. Think about all these people who don't have ever, who are never given the benefit of the doubt in Correct. this country. I'm, I'm with you. And so it's like almost the least we can do no. as like a white football player to be like, yeah, I get it. Like I get why you see me and you see something. Well, it's beyond that even. I, th I think I think everything you're saying is true, but the tables have turned so dramatically that because I am a card carrying Christian and I go to church and I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and all that kind of bad stuff, that continually in the Northeast, because I, well, Caucasian is one. Um, football players another, and Christians another. The presumptions of the current dominant culture are that I must be brain damaged. I must be emotionally, <laughs> I must be emotionally challenged, and I obviously have terrible prejudice against, against people. And the truth is, the truth is, the only two of these three things. Well, brain Liel, damaged for sure. Well, Liel and I share one thing in common: is, is that our parents didn't really like us. That's right. And and so if you grow up in a place where you don't have any parents, and I was kind of a feral child. There's there's literally zero basis for judging other people. You're just worried about your own survival and about your ability to cope with the culture that's around you. And I and I really believe strongly that my own type of Christianity, my own belief in religion, really is completely without um, political judgment and really without interpersonal judgment. It's just a direct. It's it is truly Protestant in that it has no connection with any large-scale overwhelming armature of canon that that says this is bad this is good uh, you are saved you are going to hell that sort of thing is just simply not part of me duo you you we always allow the gentile to come with a question for us yes do you have one for us i do because i'm vaguely familiar in a sort of tertiary way with birthright which you, which you may or may not be. Stephanie have and I have both been on birthright. You've done birthright. I did it too for the first twenty-four years of my life. Oh, <laughs> oh really? I did Bedouin that night. That's every, like every day. Thursday. I like that. So, so, so when my wife passed the bar exam thirty-three years ago, thirty-four years ago, in Grafton, Vermont. So Grafton, Vermont, it's the south center of Vermont, 
and it's owned by the a, a Vanderbilt family. Yeah, they come home. And it is, well, Liel, you got it exactly right. When I got out of a car, I opened the door and I see me everywhere <laughs> in architecture, <laughs> trees, humans. And I just go, I'm home. I'm home. I'm home. This is like Herzl's dream. There will be a place where right. there will be Goyish right. shopkeepers <laughs> yeah. selling Goyish fish to Goyish policemen. You know, the apocryphal, the apocryphal Herzl lied. He never probably said it, but he said, you know, we'll know we've arrived when, when Jewish police officers are arresting Jewish whores. That'll be the... <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the homeland. That's what it was in Grafton, Vermont. In Grafton, Vermont at the old tavern, now called the Grafton Inn because there weren't enough wasps to go to the old tavern right. because it sounded bad. Now it is the Grafton Inn so that everyone of anywhere so with any money chic. could come yeah. and go. Um, I felt I felt a unique, warm, and fuzzy. And did those people that, that, that went on the birthright, did you walk off of the El Al plane and go, I am home? I think. Yes. Um, the, the difference being, though, if that's like a place you vacation regularly, I mean, the fundamental concept of birthright is that it's bringing people who have never been to this place to this place that mm. they do sort of magically connect with mm. over nine, you know, euphoric sleep deprived days of like Iraq mm. and, you know, Israeli soldiers. So like Iraq and a heartbreak. So I, <laughs> I don't know. I think if that becomes. I guess the idea is the same, that this would be like a safe haven that you would return to on occasion, mm-hmm. um, maybe even for life. I don't know. So listen, you're in, you're in the Council of Elders of the, of the Church Episcopal of... Church, Connecticut. Right. Here's what you should do. You should sponsor this. You should, yes. you should have little, little college, you know, Gentile kids get in the bus yeah. and drive. What's, what's the drive from, from uh, New Haven, New Haven to, to Vermont? Vermont? I mean, three you hours. Could, you could be at three the hours southern border. Door to door. Three, three, hours, three hours door to door, and then they'll have all kinds of activities. But would you have to, like, put a bag over their head and, and give them, like, too much Wonder Bread or something? Or, or... You, would, you would pack your Wonder Bread and your mayonnaise and some... Yeah. Actually, I'm sorry, Wonder Bread. I just made a blasphemed, no. not, not Wonder Bread, Pepperidge Farm. I'm very sorry. Pepperidge Farm. And you'd pack some some Pimm's Cup. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. you would put them uh, in a Volvo station wagon. White. And, and you would drive them north. <laughs> with, and, with with a golden retriever. With okay. a golden retriever. And a, and a kayak on top. Uh, no, not a kayak. It's a, a canoe. A sunfish. It's a canoe. Okay. Okay. Wow. We do, we Which don't... you whittled during the your year off <laughs> from Skidmore. Kayak, kayak is, is, is too ethnic. <laughs> your rumspringer. Your rumspringer. A kayak I... has got two Ks in it. We don't know uh, yeah. good with it. <laughs> But though I have to say, this would be like a very triggering group of just like very white people, probably wearing polos. Like these days, you can't you probably it, couldn't get away with it. It is True. interesting. When I was writing my book about B'nai Mitzvah, the, uh, one of the things that I put in my conclusion, sort of like which way forward, was I said, you know, even as Jews always worry about our own levels of affiliation or lack thereof, other people look to us for how to – but we do a better – as bad a job as we do – we do a better job than many groups and the Episcopalians who have like no teenagers, right? I mean, there aren't, there's no like 15 year old who's like, no, none, I want to be president of the regional Episcopal youth group or something. I'm not even sure there is one. Right. Um, they were actually starting something. It probably didn't last, but they were starting something called Rite 13, R-I-T-E 13. Oh, sure. Which was going to be a sort of rite of passage based on the bar mitzvah, but for little wasps. And I never followed up with that, but it was just interesting. They Boy. were- So you learn like a passage from like a John Cheever book? Yeah, That's yeah, your yeah, Haftorah? Yeah. Oh, it was more cultural than religious. I don't know what it was. I mean, it was just getting started and it probably never got off the ground. But the answer is, um, yes, you do feel some of that. I mean, just so like, instead of a tallest, you put like a, like a sweater, like no, on like your a shoulders on the, <laughs> and tie it. Or, or as, as, as my, 
wife's dearly departed mother would say, a madras jacket. Ooh. Madras. That is so deep. Is that even a thing? Was that just her own weird? That was her own weird. But you know what? It's I'll I'll absorb it as a as a wasp. I, I, it is the right way you should say madras. It's yeah. madras. It's a madras. We have to call our Jew in a second, but um, uh, I just wanted to say, um, do you say rather? Yeah, and I also say, I, but, but, but- Because but, I knew, I had a friend in college. I say rather. The waspiest friend I had in college basically sounded like the rest of us who had grown up on the East Coast. She didn't have any particular regional accent. She sounded yep. like a newscaster, but she said rather. I'd but, rather but do that. If you, there is one real wasp test. Wake up a person in the middle of the night, hold up that red, it's technically a fruit, but that red thing that we slice and put vinegar and salt and pepper on. And you say, what is this? And he or she says, tomato. Oh, Wow. How do you say Florida? Florida. Okay. Duo, thank you for being here. When is your book out? When can we get it? Well, in theory, it's uh, being pre-ordered at Amazon now, but it's called A Home Called New England. Uh, And the bottom line is I had to do galleys over my one week off, whether I need it or not, in, in the wasp land. And hopefully it'll be out then. I think it'll just, imbu- it's imbued with the wasps. I can't wait to buy this. Yeah, I mean, this we is say in Vermont, inshallah. Inshallah. Gegesint, <laughs> <laughs> as we say in yeah. Vermont. There's no need to feud and fuss when it isn't really us. Let's you and me be who we are. We're a duo, a duo. A pair of lonely ones who were meant to be a two. Oh, a duo. It's true. Oh, wherever we go, we're going. We're really excited this week about our Jewish guests. We have Sarah Bunin Benor. She's calling in from Los Angeles. Um, she's a linguistics expert and a professor at Hebrew Union College. She knows everything there is to know about Jewish language and Yiddish and American Jewish speak. And she's the author of a fascinating book called Becoming From, How Newcomers Learn the Language and Culture of Orthodox Judaism. Thanks so much, Sarah, for, for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Um, so we did a show a few weeks ago with John McWhorter, whose work you, you surely know. And it was uh, an episode on – he has this podcast called Lexicon Valley, and we have a podcast on Jews. And I said, let's combine forces, and we'll do an episode on Jewish talk. And I realized afterwards we absolutely should have had you in the room because this is what your book is basically about, which is – I mean it's ostensibly about how newly religious people, uh, Ba'ale Tshuva, learn how to sound – from more religious when they move into orthodox communities. But among other things, it's this great like manual to the sort of defining sounds of of really, really orthodox Jews. So not to trivialize your work, but what are the three biggest giveaways that someone's orthodox to you? It depends who they're talking to, because generally orthodox Jews would be able to get rid of some of their distinctive features when they're talking to someone who's not orthodox. But Often they're not aware of certain features like distinctive intonation. Uh, if you've heard that, you know what I'm talking about. But then also more minor versions of that, like if you've heard it, you know what I'm talking about. And then there's the click, the hesitation marker, which is an influence from Israeli Hebrew. And it might not work well on a podcast, but I'll try. Uh, we were walking around and... It doesn't matter. You got that. You <laughs> yep. hear that well, got it loud and clear. Okay. John McWhorter actually okay. asked about that. He said, my students at Columbia, they have oh, this right. little click. And I knew what he was talking about, but I think that's oh, one yes, that... I do remember that. Yeah. Well, it's it, actually, there are two different kinds of clicks in Israeli Hebrew. There's the no click, which is done with lip rounding and with often a head tilt, which also doesn't come through on a podcast. But um, <laughs> that one sounds like... 
and so the the no click is a little bit lower in pitch than the hesitation click. Um, and the no click is forms its own unit of meaning. So if you say you want to come and someone can say it just means no. But the hesitation marker is used in the middle of a sentence generally and it indicates some negative affect. Another common influence that people aren't generally aware of is saying coming to us as in coming to our house. Are you coming to us for yeah. Shabbos? Is that also like staying by us? Yeah, soon by you. It's it's similar. Uh, they're both influences from Yiddish and they're both prepositions. I mean, having read your book word for word, and, and because in my fantasy life, I'm a sociolinguist, um, <laughs> it seems to me that that if there's one thing you could say is the defining feature that separates them, let's say just from people with New York accents or other kinds of of ethnic accents, it's the by, it's the Yiddish by, you know, will they be staying by us for Pesach? I mean, which I think people outside the from community don't even know exists as a as a thing in any sort of American speech, but it seems to just pop up again and again and again. And it's, it's also kind of the thing that newcomers newly from people have to master to sound orthodox. Is that, is that fair? That, yeah. And it's surprisingly get becoming more common in orthodox communities, even though you would expect that the farther away you are from the generation of immigration, the less likely you would be to use Yiddish, Yiddish features. And that is the case for some Yiddish features, but for the bi, it's the opposite. Younger people are more likely to use it than or- older people because it has become such a common marker of orthodox speech. So it's a way of, of, sh- of asserting, asserting your identity almost? Yes. It's exactly. like hip- hipster orthodoxy. Like, I'm so authentic. I'm growing a 19th century beard and I use Yiddish words. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's um, one of these controversial features, unlike... The click or the coming to us, it's very commonly discussed. And so people have different opinions about it. Some people think, oh, I shouldn't use it because it's bad grammar. And then other people say they don't use it, but they really do because it's kind of contagious. So being, being a sociolinguist, I, I want to step away from, from, the, from the linguistic side for a sec because we, we really are so obsessed with it and could do it for we could about geek out on seven it and a forever. half hours. Um, but you know, the book was so great. And, and one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is when, when you're sitting there, obviously you're no stranger to the world of, of Orthodox Jews, but as you kind of embedded yourself uh, with these families and, and observed, you know, uh, observed them in their natural habitats, uh, <laughs> was there anything that really kind of surprised you, some nuanced thing that you noticed this time around that you said, I, I never really realized that about that community? I guess I was surprised by the diversity among Bali Chuva, that some were eager to show their their newfound identity and others embraced it only partially in, in the cultural realm. You know, they would follow all of the laws, but they would avoid some of the cultural practices or they would do them with minor differences, like the guy who wore the black velvet yarmulke, but he put on a band of blue trim and he also avoided some of the linguistic features. Um, he didn't want to use a lot of Hebrew and Yiddish words and grammatical influences from Yiddish because he felt they weren't authentic to who he was as a Balchuva. It's so interesting because 
thinking of myself, not that I'm any candidate for becoming really, really from, but if I did, um, the first thing I would adopt would be, I, I talk like everyone I'm around anyway, like put me in a room with people for 10 minutes and I have their accent. Like, and I, and I don't have any problem with that. So I would sound bald shoevish with I, I could totally see 12 that. seconds, yeah. but I would never have the plastic table covering, which you describe as the most important ritual object signaling a really, really <laughs> orthodox home. And you actually, if I had one critique of the book, you didn't specifically spell out why it is that they all leave the plastic table covering on all week. First of all, why is it there at all? Because it's not a cost route thing, right? Like you can just change your tablecloth. Um, and why do they leave it on all week? Like that, that moment in the book was so interesting to me. I think it may have something to do with the same rationale for the, the language that it has become a marker of orthodoxy. And if you're in a community, you do what your community members do when in Rome, right? So they all have to go to the Judaic whatever store. I don't even know where you get them and get an extremely long, heavy plastic covering for their table. It's really bad because you have a lot of kids and kids are filthy. Yeah, there's like a very practical You're telling me. Animals. It's yes, like the I'm couch coverings. You. I guess I don't need all grandparents' homes. Four kids, we don't need that. We probably do need it. We just don't have it because it's hideous. <laughs> right. I, I, don't, I don't know anyone who's not Orthodox who has it. And in fact, I had to get one for the photo shoot for the book cover because I wanted the book cover to look authentic and... Um, the people on the cover are models. Uh, you know, one of them is actually from, and the other one is not. Wh- which uh, one isn't? Actually, uh, the dude is a rab. She's a rabbi, actually. She's a reform rabbi, uh, reconstructionist. No, conservative rabbi. Conservative rabbi. Um, oh wow! And, yeah, but, I just want to say um, the cover of your book. I have to tell because we talked about this last night on our on our pre-call. Um, it says, Becoming from how newcomers learn the language and culture of Orthodox Judaism. And the picture then is these two Orthodox people, the guy's in a black hat, the woman has a scarf on her head, and they're sitting next to each other, and and he's, and they're eating sushi for dinner and some edamame. And I love this cover. I thought it was... It's amazing. <laughs> it's, but like, where, but here's the thing. I'm not sure in what setting. First of all, does he keep his... If they're in the house, does he have his hat on? I don't think so. It doesn't. No, actually, some people do keep their hats on inside. They do, and is he sitting next to his wife? But he's not facing her. He's sitting side by side with her. Right. Um, well, actually, at the photo shoot, we also had another man, and uh, he's the husband of the woman on the cover, and in real life, and they, and he has an, a piercing on the top of his ear. And so he was wearing a black velvet yarmulke and had the piercing, and and so I liked that, and. But we ended up going with this particular image. Um, like, I'm sorry, the two of you yeah. really are, are not believable as husband and chemistry. wife. Yeah, we're going to go with the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point in your career, if you hear a Jewish person talking, can you roughly identify like who they are, where they fall on the spectrum of Jewishness? Everything from like, you know, we've talked about like temple versus synagogue versus shul and Shabbat Shalom versus Good Shabbos. Like how, how granular can you get? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I did this. Uh, my colleague Stephen Cohen and I did a survey in 2008 where we asked about 100 questions about the use of Hebrew and Yiddish words and pronunciations, and we sent it out as a survey, and it kind of went viral, and we got responses from over 40,000 people. And so I do have data on that. And so to answer your question, I would say it it, it isn't hard and fast. So if someone says good Shabbos, that doesn't mean that they're Orthodox. Plenty of Conservative people say good Shabbos, for example, and even some reform people too. If you say Sukkot versus Sukkot, you know, I could think, oh, they're likely Orthodox if they say Sukkot, but they may also be older and um, not Orthodox. There isn't a hard and fast black and white 
rule that someone who is this says this and that says that. But if somebody says, Gmar Chatima Tova, then they are likely, which is the greeting that is said between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, then that person is likely either modern Orthodox or conservative or non-denominational, Jewishly engaged, but not Orthodox. So why do you know that? The Orthodox say what? They'd say Gmar Chatima Tova, right? With the S yeah, sound? Yeah, they're Orthodox, or Gmar Chatima depending on how... Um, where they are on the modern Orthodox to black hat continuum. Can I tell you, I completely adopted that. I, I really started talking like that. I'd like at the end of Avdallah, instead of Shavuot Tov, I say, Gitten Vochna. Freaks, Do you really? Yeah, it freaks, it freaks my wife out, but it's so funny. I'm such so a funny. weird mishmash because I have, you know, my mom's side of the family, which is just, you know, they were Yiddish speakers, so it's it's Sukkot and it's Shabbos and yeah. whatever. But then at my shul, there's a lot of, you know, Israeli-oriented people, and so... But it sounds it's, so it's, much cooler, the, the yeah, S sound. The, yeah. the, the Yiddish sounds cooler. I've, I've, my, gra- my grandpa does that, like, yeah. and like he right. does that, and that's oh. when he does the most at my why wedding. Would that's you what say, he's going to do. It's why would you so say good. Tova, when you could, which Toiva. sounds like some Scandinavian, you know, couch brand, yeah. when you could say Toiva, which, like, is just, like, you know, bubbling <laughs> with, like, Yiddishkeit and joy. Uh, right, well, there's also an interesting influence from English here, because English stresses most of its word on the penultimate syllable. And Hebrew, modern Hebrew, stresses most of the words on the ultimate syllable, mm-hmm. the last syllable. Yes. So, shana tova. Um, so, yeah, shana tova versus shana tova, and shana tova fits in better to the sound structure of English. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why people tend to say Torah, Torah portion, instead of Torah portion, Torah portion, right? Yeah. It just doesn't work as well in English. So you, it's true that a lot of the... Um, Ashkenazi influences are actually from Ashkenazi Hebrew and Yiddish, but I think some of the the penultimate stress is maintained not just because of Yiddish influence, but also because of English. I mean, who who are we kidding, right? People who say Mazal Tov, that's not what you say. Like it just doesn't mean. I realize they're being Israeli about it, but it's Mazal Tov. I just feel like, come on, man. I mean, my my rabbi, God love him, and a few other people at my show say mazal tov, and I'm like, come on, man. But there's there's so many different things, and it's like how much you want to commit to saying it. Mazal tov, mazal tov. Sarah, I have to ask you a question. This this has been one of the greatest mysteries of my life, and and you're gonna help me solve it now uh, because we talked a little bit about Israelis and the way they speak. When Israelis speak in English, why do so many say a? Like that specific because, sound? Don't yeah. you say it in because Hebrew? Because that's what they say in Hebrew. I mean, you have that with French speakers too. Uh, yeah, but right? hold on. But it's we kind people. of don't say that in Hebrew. When you, when like, you know, I grew up in Israel. No one's like, eh, ani lo yodea. It's ani lo yodea. Oh, like, really? It's much more, I yeah. It's, I think all of a sudden when you switch to English, it's like, eh, but the, eh. <laughs> yeah, actually, once I studied a little girl who was bilingual, her parents were Israeli and she was growing up in America and I wanted to see which hesitation markers she would use. Would she use E eh or M or would she use um? And she used both. And sometimes if I asked a question in English, she would use um before her answer. And sometimes if I asked the question in Hebrew, she would use E eh before her That's answer. That's crazy. <laughs> so, Super yeah. tricky. Sarah, when, um, when did you realize I'm going to be a sociolinguist? Like, were you always attentive to accents growing up and to, and to different <laughs> vocabularies of different, were you code switching between cliques in high school and noticing the popular <laughs> girls, clicks. the popular girls say this and the yeah. goths say that? <laughs> I guess in, in high school, I was interested in language, but it wasn't until college that I got really into it. 
I got interested in this through klezmer music. Uh, I play violin and got into klezmer music. And then from that, I got into Yiddish. And then through Yiddish, I got into other Jewish languages and decided that I wanted to spend my life studying Jewish languages. What are you working on now? I'm working on a study of how Jewish summer camps in North America use Hebrew. Wow. How they use Hebrew. That's amazing because, well, so you know this better than I, but my daughter Rebecca is back from four weeks at Camp Ramah. She has a vocabulary of about 30 words that are all camp related. <laughs> like it's Hebrew like, words that are like, yeah, like bunk. Yeah, like edah and chug and it's like diarrhea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's got, I mean, she knows a lot of other Hebrew words too, but she has a very specialized camp related vocabulary at this point. Right. She probably has more like 100 or 200. I think she does. It's, it's amazing. She'll bust out words and I have no idea what they mean because they're just not words you'd hear in, in America, in Hebrew, otherwise. Um, but listen, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Um, or oh, as we say, toda rabah. Thanks for being coming by us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you very much. Or as they say in Orthodox communities, uh, Sarah Bunin Benor, her book is Becoming From How Newcomers Learn the Language and Culture of Orthodox Judaism. It is a scholarly book that is a pleasure to read. It also makes you hungry for kosher sushi because <laughs> of the cover. Thanks, Sarah. the mailbox for splendiferous letters this week mark stephanie liel thank you so much for everything that you do and mazel tov on hitting 100 episodes as this whole process of my conversion is coming down to the mikvah i just wanted to thank you rabbi miller of washington hebrew here in washington dc is an avid listener and thankfully turned me on to you all a while ago while every book he has sent me home with has been great i hope you realize that what you all do every week is very powerful and something i don't think can ever be accurately described in any given book right because we're like way better than a book it's like you don't have to read you <laughs> just sit there you and- can drive yeah coming from idaho yes it actually is a state not in the midwest and our potatoes are for bringing awesome i edited that there there are more jews for jesus congregations in a five mile radius than synagogues in the whole state so i'm a little behind in my tribal pop culture so to speak From linguistics to summer camp to our undying love for Gal Gadot's accent in Wonder Woman, you have all been absolutely amazing, and I can't thank you enough. Very respectfully, Andrew C. Rowan. Andrew, I love that. I also love the part that that we're part of the conversion packet. Yeah. It's like, just tune in every Thursday to this. You're going to read this book. You'll be fine. Read this book by Arthur. That's an unorthodox (laughs) conversion. By Arthur Gorid. You read this one by Samuel Heilman. Read some Telushkin. It's like Sarah... You know, and listen Benor to was talking about. Like, there are ways in which you pick up yep. sort of like the ticks. We are part That's of his right. culture. The neurotic ticks. All right. Uh, so, mazal tov to you and becoming the Jew. Shkoyach. All right. Shkoyach. Next letter. Dear Unorthodox, greetings from Ann Arbor. My name is Ellen. My husband is Jonathan. Our close friend is Matan. And we have a bone to pick with a recent episode. One of the things that makes Unorthodox great is the way that you all don't agree with each other all the time, but discuss your disagreements in a way that as listeners are actually easy to hear the arguments being made. Similarly, we think the show is usually able to be un-PC in a constructive way. However... Mark's comments about recreational OxyContin use were about seven steps too far. The remarks glorified a highly addictive substance without furthering the discussion at hand. The comments struck us as irresponsible and asympathetic, given the staggering impact these drugs are having on families and communities across the country. Best, Ellen, Jonathan, and Matan. Okay, I got about five versions of this letter, which is- Do you have something to say for yourself? About four episodes ago, I said that I had popped a- I have some leftover Oxy from my knee surgery a few years ago. Once every month, two months even- Four times a year, I pop a recreational oxy just because it gives me a fuzzy little high. 
look, here's the way I feel about this. Obviously, addiction to any substance is a tremendous tragedy for the person undergoing it and for her or his family, right? Alcoholism is terrible. Uh, marijuana dependency is terrible. People who can't get up in the morning and go about their day without smoking a joint. Um, all addictions are terrible. Um, so is oxy addiction. And, and it's one that happens to be hitting pretty hard right now. But I think that all drugs, when used responsibly in a free society without oppressive laws or too much incarceration or or scapegoating, all drugs can enhance the human experience. I'm not a big user of any drug. I don't know when I last smoked a J. I did shrooms once. I've never done heroin. Like, I'm a pretty – but I'm a responsible four times or six times a year oxy user. That's – just because that's the addiction that's in the news the moment doesn't mean that I can't be honest about the fact that I can use it responsibly. That's right. Are you with me there? I'm, and here's the thing. I'm a huge <laughs> hypocrite when it comes to drugs because I think that they should all be like not ever made legal, including marijuana. And like, Really? You're not afraid of legalization? Not ever and, made legal? And I've done a lot of drugs. But you like the frisson of breaking the law. It heightens the experience. Uh, yeah, I kind of, you, you no, know what? I, yeah, that's kind of, that's exactly right. That's part of the package. These things are illegal because they're bad. That having been said, if you could do them responsibly, by all means, do blow. Like, that's a great... <laughs> See, I, awesome no, no, thing. I think I do. I do appreciate these letters because I think it does highlight like a lot of things that we say off, off, sort of off the top of our heads, off the cuff, actually have an impact that is different than maybe we intended. So I think I think it is interesting to sort of hear that I, it, it sort of upsets people to hear that. Right. So kids, I totally, kids, you can't do drugs because I, I already did them all. <laughs> I did, I totally. That's like my friend who's a Catholic priest. I was like, sure, because he had so much sex in college, he got it all out of his system. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh. I totally hear that. I mean, I'd be so heartbroken if any of my daughters ended up uh, dependent on a substance. And I, I'm sure that anyone listening who has someone in, in her family who's oxy-dependent or dead from it would have that reaction. But I also feel like we talk about alcohol use and there are people whose lives have been wrecked by alcoholism. And I don't Not just that. I mean, you know, for bringing food. Yeah. You know, how people problematic themselves are to people death. who are just like addicted and to the worst like substances that are like marketed to make people feel better about their miserable, hopeless lives. I, I, I stand with you, Mark Oppenheimer. Thank you. Today, I just think it's worthwhile to be called out on the, like the things that you don't even think about are helpful. Right. I agree. And I'm, and I was glad to have a chance to make that, to make that response. Uh, number three, dear unorthodox host, my wife and I love the podcast. It connects us to our roots. We recently contributed to the capital campaign and would love some advice in return. Oh, okay. So this is, you got it. This is a transactional you, thing here. All right. You got uh, all of our time and our attention. My wife is pregnant and we're seriously considering naming our future son Maximus in honor of a deceased relative, oh, Maxwell. God. Amazing. There are two issues. Number one. There uh, are no issues. You're, you're <laughs> correct, sir. <laughs> Okay, there are two issues. Number one, a cousin who lives on the East Coast named her son Max when he was born earlier this year, presumably in honor of the same relative. We live farther than far and won't see this cousin more than every four or five years. Issue number – so I guess the issue there is like can we have – There the is no name? issue. There's no issue. There. Hers is Max. Okay. Yours is Maximus. Number two, we wonder if Maximus is a bit too Roman for a member of the tribe. We would really appreciate your thoughts on whether we could feel okay about naming our boy Maximus. If the consensus is that we should skip Maximus, we're open to suggestions on great Jewish names in need of a comeback. We're fully on board with Mark's Jewish campaign, for example. Name withheld. All right, withheld. Let's go around the room. We need a Jewish, a Jewish Maximus. <laughs> A Jewish Maximus would be a, a tribute to our people. And then, you know what? If you're really kind of a little bit feeling iffy, like make the middle name be like Shlomo. Like Maximus Shlomo, Shlomo. name withheld. Name withheld. Like, that would be a great. <laughs> All I have to say is my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north. Yeah. No? 
What name is Gladiator. Decimus. Amazing speech. Um, No, no, no. On my command, unleash hell. I love. Let me pause. Say, I love our listeners so much. I think. I think a hundred percent. Hundred percent. That's another one. Hundred percent. Um, I think definitely, and I think we're taking it back. And by the way, if you name Maximus, Stephanie is going to do the naming ceremony. Wait, wait. Yeah. What do you mean we're taking it back from the Romans? It's not for the Jews to take back Maximus. Really? Was the uh, sorry? We're taking it. Was the temple for them to take away from us? No. They did it anyway. We're taking it back. They have a menorah. We're taking Maximus. All right. Well, it looks like I'm already outvoted. They say name your son Maximus. I will give you the Tim Oppenheimer. My father was always a believer that like life is hard enough. You don't have to be settled. You don't have to be saddled with a stupid Fabrengan name. And your father clearly never listened to a boy named hence, Sue. Hence Mark, Daniel, Jonathan, and Rachel. Um I will just say a nice like Christian family, yeah. I feel like. Not Jonathan, not John, not Daniel, Jonathan, and Rachel. No. But Mark. Fine. Yes. Um, and the Christians like Daniel. It's an interesting question. The Irish like Daniel. They don't seem to know it's an Old Testament name. Anyway, I just think Maximus is, it's, it's a, I'm going to be honest. You asked, I think it's a little stupid. I think it's just kind of a stupid, it's kind of a, it's like, oh, I'll, it's a cartoon name. Like what? Conan the Barbarian name withheld? I mean, name your son, you know what needs to be brought back? Mark. Like Mark is like not even top hundred anymore. Nobody names their kid You're Mark. literally going in for like name him after me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Dear Mark, Stephanie, and Leo, I wanted to send a letter along with my donation in honor of your 100th episode. We love you. We love you. Thank you. I was born and raised in the Bronx, but now live in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, which is a little short on Jews. So I rely on you three for almost all of my Judaic news. Although I've known about Tablet for years, I first heard about Unorthodox on Savage Lovecast when Dan Savage gave you a shout out regarding his upcoming stint as Gentile of the Week. I gave Unorthodox a try and was instantly smitten. I have to admit, I occasionally need to look up some of your references. For example, the first few times you mentioned BDS, I thought you were referring to the kink community, not Israel. Clearly, my Savage Lovecast roots are showing. So she thought we meant BDSM, bondage, domination, submission. Sado, isn't it Sado? No, bondage and domination. Bondage and domination, sadomasochism. I think I got that right. Thank you for educating me and making me laugh. My daughter, Rachel, who's starting her freshman year at Barnard in a couple of weeks, is a huge fan too. We'll undoubtedly listen to Orthodox. We'll undoubtedly listen to Unorthodox as we drive to New York. And I hope to meet you at one of the live shows soon. Many regards, Berit Har. Oh, does your Barnard daughter want to be like an intern? Oh, maybe so. Maybe we'll so. We will not right talk now. about BDSM. I just think I just want to read that letter because it's hilarious that BDS is one letter away from BDSM. It is kind of crazy, which I never thought about. And I feel like it would just cheer everyone up if That's they just figured out. But it does. I want to make the point. Switch them. It shows how what a small world we live in because we're journalists in the Jewish world. We think everyone knows what BDS That's is, right. and it's the movement to boycott, divest from, or sanction yeah, Israel. Yeah, most Jews actually don't know. what Most that Jews means. have no idea what, what BDS for. is. Like, if you work in Jewish journalism, you're, you think that BDS is like this huge the greatest movement threat but facing it's humanity. The world. It's these left wingers who want to boycott Israel, and most Jews haven't the faintest idea what BDS. Well, is. I realize sometimes, like after last week, I realized I didn't define what making Aliyah was. Right. And I was like, I actually should have done that. Moving it, to Israel. At no point did we say this means moving to Israel. And I yeah. should have just even casually just translated it, basically. I mean, we are three not so religious Jews who have a deep thousand word lexicon of internal Jew. Yeah, who are literally too words. immersed Jewish in the Jewish angst. world. And yet most Jews, even many religious it's Jews. It's like the Eskimos have a million words for snow. We like have a million words for things <laughs> for that makes us anxious. hating Jews. We will uh, get mail, by the way, saying Eskimos don't really have a million words for yes, snow. Yes, but so. we do have a million words for ways to persecute us. Anyway, yeah. keep the great letters coming. Send them to uh, unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Our mailbox is my favorite part of the show. Same here. I'll just say that. Um, 
10 second fundraising pitch. Please keep us going. We are at 30%. We really need to get there. Think of what you'd spend on a nice meal and ask yourself if uh, 40 episodes of Unorthodox is worth it. Between wainscoting or giving to us, you know. But you do look hungry, so you should probably eat. Eat first. Tabletmag.com slash donate. We have over 200 donors so far. Please, please join them. If we get up to five or 600 donors, we're going to make our goal. Mazel tovs, Liel? Yes, to the amazing James Beard award-winning Israeli-born chef Alon Shaya. Ooh, New who's Orleans. Been rocking it this week uh, at the <laughs> Chef Domain uh, place compound at the South Street Seaport. Uh, keep on rocking, brother. That's a man who knows his eggplants. Stephanie. My mazel tov is to baby Liliana Butnik, who's going to get a Hebrew name. And I know it, but no one else knows it except for the parents. Oh, because you're doing the ceremony. Yeah, like I was like, at some point, just tell me the name. So you will sprinkle the holy water on the child and and give him a Hebrew name. It's it's going to be so great. And um, I just love her so much. And Stephanie is available for Briss's baby name, Simchat Bat. I'm here for for it, whatever you need. You should reveal the name next week and then have listeners be like, that's not a Hebrew name. Yes. That's that was part of the problem because they were like, "Is this? A, is this?" And I was like, "Trust me, nothing's a Hebrew name. That's a, nothing that like everyone's gonna be mad about David, something. That's not a Hebrew. I'm not name. gonna say it on the podcast because I don't want to um, hear." Clap back. For my mazel tovs, first of all, uh, our listener, Maddie Cohen, wanted me to give a shout out to Congregation Beth Israel in Charlottesville, Virginia, which has done a lot of good work in the community and also in helping its members and non-members through the events of the past week. So shout out to Congregation Beth Israel in Charlottesville. Um, and a mazel tov for me to Leah Sarna on her upcoming wedding. Um, Shira talked about the wedding because Shira is a friend of hers, but I'm also a friend of hers. And also to the ACLU for sticking up for free speech for everybody. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com and in French pronounced tablet. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Please, you know what? You know what? Don't write to us. Send us voice memos. I was just listening to Sound Opinions, which is my favorite podcast that's not ours. And the, at the end of the show, when they play the letters and all of them are, are messages left on their answering machine, it's just great. So I'm not going to read any letters next week unless they're voice memos. You can record a memo on your phone and send it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Or if you don't know how to do that, email me personally at moppenheimer at tabletmag.com and I'll give you my cell phone number and you can leave it on my phone. And also call him all the time. Yeah. Our executive producer is Alyssa Goldstein and we are also produced by Shira Talushkin. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson. Our music is by Golem and rabbinic supervision this week by Rabbi Benjamin Weiner and his wife, Cantor Elise Barber, whose son has a combined last name. They combined Weiner and Barber, and their son is Ephraim Weinbarber. Right up there with my friend Michelle Solomon, who married Greg Cheo, and their son is Oliver Salomon Cheo. Kosher Slaughtering is by Steve Manukin. We record at Argo Studios, whose statue is being torn down right now, and we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.